Hey everyone, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. And this is going to be a really good conversation with Missy Young. Missy's the CIO of Switch. Missy is just beyond words one of the most incredible folks that I've ever known. She's an incredible you know, female leader. She's an incredible person. Uh, so she stands among people that I have a huge respect for in what she does both for her organization and for the general community. So this is going to be a really fun conversation. We're going to go into some really deep stuff around how to bring folks further into their career, introduce people into technology, dealing with some of the gaps uh, around STEM. Uh, so this is really a, a good and profound and conversation. And it's also just a lot of fun. Missy's been really great. So I hope you enjoy the show. This is Missy Young, CIO of Switch, and you are listening to the Disco Posse podcast. What I love about what we've talked about before, you and I, Missy, and what we as an industry are starting to tackle is the the real neat opportunity where we can, we've gotten ourselves to a point where we can do stuff that's more than just getting through our own day. And you've been a really, really strong part of the community, uh, both directly and just like IT community and really opening people's eyes to what what you and the team are doing. Uh, but so much more than that is to really like bring people forward into our industry and even just into anything. I, I found you've just got such a, a beautiful sense of opening doors and, and opening up opportunities in such a good way for people. Uh, but I'll, I'll let, let's do, you can just do your full sort of intro on, on who you are, how you got here. And I want to talk about, first of all, being the leader, you know, a, a CIO, a well-earned opportunity and, and what it feels like, you know, I'm not going to say you're, a, you're a female, you're not a woman who became a CIO or a CIO because you're a woman. That's such a, that's part of the problem. I think right there, just the fact that I never know what the right statement is. You are an amazing person and amazing CIO. Thanks. You happen to also be an amazing woman, a mother, all of these things, right? How do you approach just that thing, like just being you, how would you describe you? <laughs> uh, well, I guess I would describe myself as, it's an interesting thing. I was challenged at a workshop one time to describe myself without using my title or my job in any way. And I discovered how much of uh, our identity is usually wrapped up in what do we do for a living, right? Oh, and so, yeah. yeah, so I am a mother, I am a wife, I am a friend, I am a daughter, I am a sister, and I am also a CIO of a tech company called Switch that I have been with for about 15 years. And I was one of the original, um, I'm employee number nine. So I've been with the company for quite some time through uh, its, most of its history. Uh, and it's been an incredible journey. And I would say that I grew into the role of CIO over time having worn all the hats and done all the jobs. And, you know, when you're in startup mode over those years, that's what you do as a team is everyone pitches in and does whatever needs to be done in order to make the company successful. So uh, most of the core team is all still here. So we have this incredible environment uh, that, that really functions well with all the individual members helping out. Simon Sinek says a team is not a 
be a bunch of people who work together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. And over the years, that's what we've built here. So it's it's been a fantastic place to be for me to grow professionally and also to have a mentor like our CEO and founder, Rod Roy, who has helped me not just you know, be excellent at my job, but to transform into a CIO, because that's a, that's an evolution that has to take place within yourself. You have to be willing to do that work on the inside to learn what is empathy and how can I wield empathy to the benefit of my team? And how do I, how do I show confidence to my team in order to inspire them, but without it looking like you're cocky? You know, how do you, how do you do all these things in a way that helps your team be better? Because at the end of the day, a good leader is a good servant. You have to put the needs of your team above your own. And this is the, it's a, this is what makes, you know, your arriving into this role so appropriate and again, so well-deserved because very, a lot of people see this and they say like, oh, well, anybody who's been in a, a role for so long, it's kind of these natural progressive things. You are, you know, you are an individual contributor, then you're a manager, then you're a director, then you're a, maybe a VP or AVP and, and you kind of like track your way up. But it's, it's very interesting that there are many levels or many types of roles that are not ladder paths or they shouldn't be because there's not just functional requirements and skills that are needed to do it, but empathy is such a powerful part of so many different parts of what we do. But I would say, like you described, more so as a CIO, because it's not just, you know, CIO is the old joke, right? CIO used to stand for career is over. Like that back in the <laughs> 80s, people would say like, oh yeah, they are. that was like, you're on special projects. You, you're, they're like, what do we do with Pete? I don't know. Let's make him the CIO. That'll, that'll push him out in 18 months. Right. But then it became a transformative part mm-hmm. of how companies operate and survive and thrive in, in this new sort of IT oriented and, and tech driven field. So the change in that transformation becoming a thing means like, how do you transform if you don't have empathy? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll be straight up. I didn't have it. So <laughs> if, you, if, if you've ever taken the, uh, the color code uh, test, like it's one of the many different versions of uh, personality tests out there. But so uh, red is the color of power. And my test came out 77% red. So <laughs> if anybody saw your office that we just described as being right. predominantly red, <laughs> it's my favorite color. And so it's, uh, it's the color of my office. It's the color of the inside of my car and so on. But uh, it means that I, it much more overshadows the other colors of blue, which are, which is emotions and, and yellow, which is fun and white, which is details, that kind of thing. Uh, so I had to work on empathy. It's something I had to learn. You know, there would be times when my CEO would come into who's my CEO is very gifted with empathy. And he would come into my office and say, do you know how you sounded in that meeting just now? And I would say, huh? I mean, just completely obtuse and, and clueless as to the effects that the way I had delivered my sentences had impacted a certain person in the room and just, just no clue. And so I had to, I had to read a lot of books and, and really work hard on that. And, you know, our senior team here is also really good at, uh, you know, I can ping something off of them and say, hey, this happened and I, I think I want to handle it this way. What do you think? How do you think this is going to be taken? And we all help each other because I think to build a company like this over time, like we have, you have to have a lot of people with red in their personality to do that. You have to be a strong team. But the empathy is also super important for all the people that 
you're bringing with you along the way because they look at you and they see your title and there's a certain amount of intimidation that comes with that, whether you mean it to or not. Right. Whatever my intentions were, I didn't intend to hurt anybody's feelings, but they got hurt anyway. And so it's not your intentions that matter, it's your actions that matter because that's what's going to create a result. That's what's going to create an impact. So I did, I did have to learn empathy and I, I, I will happily confess that I'm a work in progress. I don't know if there's ever a point where you say, I've reached the pinnacle of empathy. Maybe Mother Teresa could have said that, maybe her, but she's like the only person. Maybe Maya Angelou, she's another one who's really good at that. Um, but yeah, so I, I have to always say, I, there's always a, a, another step I can take to be better. So the great thing though is because I studied it, I worked hard at it, and I'm still working hard at it, I can coach other people in the company who also want to be leaders and who are on that same journey of self-transformation as well to help them take whatever those steps are that, so that they can, they can achieve that next level of professional excellence. And it, it just helps you in your personal life too. Yeah, well, that's the, one of the books that I recommend most often to people. It's one called The Four Agreements. And it's mm -hmm. a, a neat one. It's sort of a, it's spiritual, but not religious. Uh, and, and the four agreements are very simple. Uh, I recommend it to many people. And one of my favorite things in it is one where it's, and the, the rule is simply don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. And what's different about this, it's a very sort of stoic thing that I use out of it. It's not just don't take it personally like, hey, you know, Missy, you're amazing. And you're like, I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about that right now. <laughs> you're like, no, you can't. So it's not just like, I, I'm very disappointed in you and you feel down, obviously. So you're not, you're supposed to not take it personally. So we all do that. We're like, oh no, you know, shut out the bad. Well, we also have to all eliminate the good in a way, or like the really very strong peaks of where people are heaping praise. I recommend, I just, I dread when people heap praise on me because I'm like, oh no, no, no. I've got to like, I got to get this onto somebody else. I have to share this. I have to, like, this is not me. This is not me. This is a thing. Who else deserves to be here in this moment with me to share this and spread it out? So I'm very mindful of, I call it shaving off the edges that I mm -hmm. want to stay centered so that I don't feel, because the higher you feel, the easier it is to feel the trough. And when you go about, go to baseline, if you've been told like, you're amazing, you've done, this is the best day I've ever seen. I've never seen a presentation like this. And then an hour later, people are like, hey, so the document you did, definitely needs a lot of work. You feel like it, if you had just come into work and said, Hey, so the document you did needs a lot of work, but let's work on it together. But now that you came off this high, you're at baseline and you feel like shit. <laughs> like you really, you're just like, Oh God, because you've got this big Delta from where you fell. So that's sort of the long way to say like, when they say don't take it personally, that means both the, the incredible praise and the incredible negativity. Mm -hmm because you've got to sort of shake some of that stuff out. And empathy is, is definitely something more people need to. And so have you ever heard of Chris Voss? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually uh, teaching his book. Oh, nice. Um, so I can never the split the difference. Yes, on yeah. the to our sales team. And I highly recommend that book, by the way, for anyone in sales, because the techniques that he teaches really work. My sales team has gone out and implemented these tools as they've learned them, and they're experiencing amazing results almost immediately. It's been phenomenal. Yeah, Chris Voss is awesome. Yeah, the uh, I I every time I just give somebody the book, they're just like, 
wait a second. <laughs> like, I know where you get all your stuff from. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And there it is. Never split the difference. <laughs> Phenomenal. Uh, and for folks that have got access to Masterclass, a Masterclass, the online sort of uh, tool, uh, really, really neat. Uh, and Chris does one of the one of the, the programs. So it's, it's effectively a, a read of a lot of the content in the book, but it's, it's neat to literally see him you know, by face. I did the audio book as well. And I was like, I was kind of disappointed it wasn't him because he's got just this beautiful delivery. Uh, when he does have a good voice, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but tactical empathy mm -hmm. is the way that he describes what he does because it's very much, you know, there's pure empathy where somebody falls down and they're hurt. You want to help them, right? So your, your children are, have a bad day at school. You want to help them. Tactical empathy is day-to-day navigating the the perils of running an organization or negotiating a sale or or whatever it happens to be that's that's a neat thing how did you how did you come about this it sounds like this is something that you, you said that you kind of got you got you found out that you needed a little help how did it come to to that point where you you decided this is it i'm ready to look around uh it was a I don't know if there was a cert one certain point, but there were definitely a few incidents where, you know, my, my CEO and founder, who's also my mentor, uh, Rob Roy, you know, just brought it to my attention. He's like, Hey, this, you know, if you want to be effective as a leader, you have to change this. And I, you know, studied him because he is so good at empathy and at helping to build consensus. And he never uh, criticizes in public, you know, he, he takes you into the room and talks and, you know, how do we, and, you know, it's very, it's always very constructive. And because of that, people are just so incredibly loyal to him and want to do their best for him because he's so good at that. And so I, I said, okay, that's a good model for me because I can see in our own team, the effect that he has on everyone in it and how he helps everyone to be them, their best selves. Well, I can't let that stop with me. I need to turn around and do that for everyone else also, but because it doesn't come naturally to me, I have to I have to learn it. And so I went and started searching out books on that uh, to learn how to be better at it. And but transformation doesn't happen unless you can self-actualize, meaning, okay, I've I'm I'm going to do an honest analysis of myself and say, okay, these are the things that I need to work on, and then actually take that into action and and do it in real life. You know, one of the great things about Chris Boss's book, uh, Never Split the Difference is these, these conversational techniques like mirroring and labeling. Uh, I started using them at home with my husband <laughs> and it works. And so he now thinks I'm like the most attentive, best listening wife in the world because I've learned how to practice these skills, how to be a better listener and how to make the other person feel like they matter to you and that you're not just sitting there waiting for your turn to talk. So these are techniques that anybody can learn, but you have to be number one, willing to make the change. And then two, actually do the work over and over and over again in order to unseat some of those deep seated habits that you already have. And it's like a muscle memory as well. Sure. It's a, it's a neuromuscular memory that you have to create. Uh, and it's, it's so funny because that's, so much of what I learned in that book and in other things and how I've like kind of become used to talking to you know, strangers now, a lot of times. And when I'm on a podcast with them, I'll literally get introduced to them and that's it. You know, like we record like 90 minutes of, of really enjoyable conversational content. And they'll be like, how did you, 
how did you know about my business? I'm like, well, I, I read about it about nine minutes before we got on the call, but you, <laughs> you just did such a great job of telling the story and I just helped to pull you through it. Right. And that's really what it was is, and at home, it's such a powerful thing because like you said, it's, you can just do the simple things and you feel bad when you're learning it because you're like, oh, all right, time for some mirroring, time for some labeling. <laughs> but after a while, if you practice it enough, it does, it does start to come natural. And it makes sense. It, it actually legitimately creates a true engagement. It really pulls you together with the person you're talking to and gives them a, an incredible comfort to share much more of it. And some of the early, some of the longer, really long form podcasts I did with one fellow, I said, like, we, he was asked him a question. I said, what's the, you know, hardest, what's the most difficult thing that's ever happened to you that you're most thankful for? Mm. You know, and it's like one of those like weird questions. I think it's like a Tim Ferriss question, whatever. And it was neat that instead of having like just a gut reaction to it, there was just this incredible long pause. And that was another sort of vossism, I'll say, is like, just let, let silence reign. And, and then after like 40 seconds, he just says, no, oh, it's a good question. You know, the day that I, and it was like the, this incredible thing just happened in front of me from that moment forward. And if I had cut him off or like tried to make the conversation flow, it would have totally changed the dynamic. And those are, those are so magical when you get those. And that's why I love, so you go and you're, you're sharing this as well. You're mentoring other folks in the industry. You talked about mentoring and, and Rob being one of your mentors. What do you do in order to create that mentoring relationship as well with some of either peers or, or folks in the organization? I'm curious how you make that come into play as part of your day to day. Uh, so I don't think you can force that. I don't think you can sort of declare, Hey, I'm going to be your mentor now, but you can start to show a lot of interest in someone's work and their day-to-day -day activities and call them more and stop and say, Hey, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? You know, things that don't necessarily have to do with work, build that relationship. And I, you know, I always laugh because I, ha I have a bit of a snarky, sarcastic sense of humor. But if I haven't known someone here at the company for at least five years, they don't, they don't get to see that side of my personality because I'm not 100% sure how they'll take it. Right. I'm not 100% sure if they would be offended or, or feelings hurt or not sure if they think I'm being mean, whatever. Now, of course, the people I've been working with for 10 years, they all know, you know how, how my sense of humor works. And a lot of them are the same way anyway. And so we have a ton of fun with that banter. But I, I sheath that sword when I'm around people that I don't know how they can handle it. And so I think you have to build that relationship first, get to know each other and build that trust. I think it's, it's different if you, you know, I've done the, the mentoring programs where you're mentoring young college students and so on. And that's a diff, very different dynamic. They're coming to you for mentorship. They're coming to you with questions and they want to know, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And it's interesting. A lot of them want to, how do I become CIO, right? They want to know, how do I get to the C-level? And I, I kind of stopped them. I'm like, well, I, I never had a plan to get to a C-level position. I never wanted to work in a data center when I was a yeah, kid. This, this wasn't in the plan. <laughs> because, it, because it didn't exist, right? Yeah. It did, this job that I have did not exist when I was a kid. And a lot of the people who are coming out of high school and college now are going to have jobs in the future that don't exist yet. And so my goal every day, I really just wanted to earn a living. 
my goal when I became a network engineer, what, you know, I got some certifications and became a network technician to start out. And I just, I wanted to make a decent living, but my, the way that I approached work every day was how can I be, how can I be excellent today? How can I be my most amazing self today? Because I can't do anything about tomorrow because tomorrow's not here yet. And so that was really my, my focus as I, you know, worked all over the years was just be my best self today because it's the only thing I can control. And that was a great way to try to keep stress off of my back because I can't, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of times worrying about, well, what are we going to do in next month and how is next quarter going to go and this and that. I can't control any of those things. I can only control what I'm doing today. And so if I go home at the end of the day and go, yep, I was excellent today, then I did a great job. And that will take care of itself. And so I kind of back up these younger kids and say, well, hold on a second. You know, that's that path forward. You may, you may lay out some path now. I guarantee you, I bet you a million dollars that that path is going to change. Either you're going to evolve it or life is going to happen to you or new opportunities are going to come up and you're going to make different decisions. I don't, I don't, I think it's very difficult to set some massive goal out into the future in front of you and then have that be your be all end all. And then if that doesn't work out, you've experienced this huge disappointment or letdown. So I just say, do your best today in order to uh, go into tomorrow knowing that you can do the same thing again. And if you do experience a setback, oh well, that's life. I don't know if you ever saw The Incredibles, but Mr. Incredible would say, you know, every time I turn around, the world is in jeopardy again. I mean, can't it just stay saved? It just clean this place up. You know, and so the setbacks will happen. They happen to the best of us. And just, that's okay. That's life. It doesn't mean your life is over. The best part about life is tomorrow is a new day and you can try again. Yeah. There's a, there's a reboot every night in a sense. Right. And, and that's there's, right. I, I like the, I, I describe it often as like sort of local optimization. You know, there's a certain, I've got a 24 hour optimization window. There's certain things that I can affect within the 24 hours. And truthfully, it's really 16. Uh, you know, even if you're getting a short amount of sleep, you're looking at 20. Uh, so what can you affect during that period of time? And like you said, if, if it, if you have a terrible 20 hours, you have a, a little bit of a, of a nap, you come back, you're like, okay, let's kind of reset the clock a bit and, and, and reset the baseline. So it's, it's a good, it's something I wish we would teach earlier. I think that's the the thing I tried to give with when I speak, especially with kids and students, especially like teens, you know, it's that whole sense of like, it's going to get better, which is like kind of like the around suicide prevention. There's a whole big crux. Because like, you remember when you were, when I'm 12 years old and I lose a girlfriend, I'm like that's it. I'm done. I'm never, I, there's nothing in life that could make me happy ever again. <laughs> you know, and you're like, so, yep. but I, I say this jokingly now because I was able to survive some, some, those moments, right? And, and, and so sometimes when you're in those periods of your life and you haven't had experience, they can feel like, that's it. This is the cliff that I, that I'm not going to get on the other side of. Uh, and when you get through people and you get, into jobs and you get into more senior roles, you find out that it's much more like Mr. Incredible. You're like, all right, what do we need to sort out today? Good. Stuff's not on fire. <laughs> We're good till tomorrow. And then it'll burn again. But uh, yeah, when you talk about the kids, I think, 
you know, with the stress of, of figuring out their future. I think that there's a lot of disservice done to kids when people ask them, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because they, and, and you and I being Gen Xers, you know, we definitely experienced this as kids. We were expected to have our entire future mapped out. We were expected to know what we wanted to be and to know where we wanted to go to college and, and all those things. But in today's world, when everything is changing as fast as it is, and these kids are going to have jobs that haven't even been invented yet, I'm a huge fan of the technical and vocational fields. You know, if you're going to be a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or some other career where uh, you have to have a college degree, awesome, I get it. Go to college and get that degree and go down that path. But if you're not sure, the technical certifications or vocational programs are excellent ways to get into the workforce and try it out for a while. Right. You know, and see where it takes you because you don't know where it's going to take you. I had no idea that getting a few tech certifications and starting out as a network technician in the early mid 90s was going to lead to where I am today. How would I, I could never have known that. And I, I didn't have a plan. I just said, hey, I'm, I'm good with computers. Let's give this a shot. You know, this was in the, the dot-com days and it was, it was a thing. And, you know, I said, well, you know, I can, I can do this. I know I can, you know, learn the language of computers because that's really all it is, is a language. And, you know, I already uh, was pretty good with languages. And so I figured this, this sounds like a natural thing for me. And it led me where I am. But I would never have been able to predict it, ever. Now, the other thing that I was talking about the the thing you've created, which is, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the path to CIO, people think, oh, that's amazing. That's wondrous. There's no possible, like they just can't even imagine sometimes what it must be like. Another thing that people don't necessarily know what it must be like is when you, you're exposed to uh, people, you know, especially, you know, peer to peer level in high up in organizations, it's a very different sort of interaction you have with other CIOs and CTOs and CEOs. Uh, you're very prominent in public service and, and doing things with charity. Uh, you know, we've talked in the past, but some of the folks you're on, you you know, I always joked about, you know, sort of like my, my dream magician friends and you're like, Oh yeah, good friends with them. Good friends with them. And, and because <laughs> of where you are, um, yeah. You know, talk about, did you know when you were not yet a network certified that you would someday be, you know, on a charity board with maybe the folks you are? And let's talk about some of the, the work that you do in that area. Sure. And no, I, I didn't even envision, you know, this was in Southern California. So I never even thought I would ever live in Las Vegas. That was not on my bucket list. And I don't know if it's on anyone's bucket list, but yet here I am. <laughs> so I've lived in Las Vegas now for 15 years and I moved here from Huntington Beach to join Switch when it was a very small company. And it was a huge risk to move here. Um, but, and I've, I still have a lot of people today going, how could you leave Huntington Beach? Don't you miss it? And I always say, well, no, it's, it's right there. Like I can go visit it anytime I want from Vegas. It's super easy. Uh, but I don't have to pay the taxes. I don't have to deal with the traffic and the pollution, et cetera, et cetera. I love living in Nevada. I think it's a great place to be. And Nevada as a state is, is really a, a big, small town. Everyone knows everybody. And so when you serve on boards here, there's actually a lot of change you can affect, which is really a cool thing. Uh, so I serve on the boards of First Robotics, which is one of the, the coolest things I've ever done is to work with First Robotics. It was founded by Dean Kamen, who invented the Segway and a whole bunch of other things. I don't know how many patents he has now. 
uh, but FIRST Robotics enables, and they have Lego League for elementary school kids, and so FIRST Robotics enables kids to get this kit of parts, and they, they can create a robot and has specific weight restrictions and, uh, you know, specific uh, limitations that built around to make sure that all the robots are competing in, in the same arena. Uh, with a theme every year. So this year, Mark Hamill from, you know, Star Wars launched the first robotics competition. And we have our regional competition here in Vegas. And we last year, we had teams from Turkey and Brazil and just all over the world. But so the kids have to learn mechanical engineering and programming and electrical engineering. And the kids have to be able to write a business plan. They have to go and source funding. So they have to go and basically sell this concept to people to get money in order to fund their, their you know, buying the kit of parts and traveling to the competitions. So they essentially have to create a small business around this robot. So a friend of mine who is an executive at Cirque du Soleil, kept encouraging me, encouraging me to come to the first robotics competition. He wasn't selling it very well. He just kept saying the robotics contest. <laughs> like, oh, okay, fine. You know, so I, I went down there and they were holding it in the Thomas and Mack arena, which is a pretty big space. And I go in there and it was like NASCAR. It was high energy. <laughs> this is huge yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, music. And all the teams have like their own machine shops where they have all their parts and they're working on stuff. And the kids all have, all the teams have created their own themes. So like one of the team was a Harry Potter theme. And, uh, and so they're all running around. But the great thing is not just, are, not only are they being judged on how the robot competes, but each team has to compete in collaboration with a couple of other teams. And then every single team gets judged on their gracious professionalism. So they all have to be kind to each other. So these are not mean, nasty, you know, terrible competitions where the kids are all fighting it out. No, if one kid's, if one team's robot has a problem, other teams will offer parts to help. And that is gracious professionalism. So they're also being taught to be kind and to be professional and to be well-mannered adults while competing with this robot. It is the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. And so we were talking to a young lady at the Vegas competition a couple years ago. And as a freshman in high school, she envisioned her, her life after high school as she was just going to work in fast food because that's what her parents did. And her parents were barely legal in the U.S. And there is no American dream for her that does not exist in her eyes. She has a very different upbringing, very different life, very different experience, and very different hopes and dreams that people who, um, you know, their families are born and raised in this country and have different options. So she just figured, I'll just work in fast food because there's no money for me to go to college or do anything else. And so as a freshman in high school, another girl encouraged her to join First Robotics because of how much fun she was having. So she said, why not? And she gave it a try and she discovered, you know what, I'm really good at this. I can learn the language of a computer because I already know two languages. I know English and Spanish. And so this is just another language to learn. And so she discovered that she was very good at programming. And by the time she graduated high school, she had received a full ride scholarship to Cal Poly because right. of how first robotics not, not only changed her as a student, but opened her eyes to the possibilities that were in front of her. That if she could just take hold of them, that they were real and they were available. So FIRST Robotics is just an absolutely incredible organization and anyone anywhere can start a team in, in your kid's school. FIRST Robotics makes it very easy for people to start teams. They have all those pathways and programs laid out and training and all that. 
so that I do that. I'm on the board of Opportunity Village, which helps to provide jobs for people with physical and intellectual disabilities. Yeah, this is a really good one. I, I, I had gotten turned on to Opportunity Village years ago, uh, Penn Gillette. So I, I caught on to it because it was one of the, that was actually when he was on The Apprentice. I think that was what the his yeah. his charity money went towards. And I had already kind of known about that. So uh, so big shout out to Opportunity Village in particular. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of how well they give back and, and all that you do for that as well. Yeah, it's a pretty neat thing that a lot of um, city, I think there, it, it should be implemented in every city across America because of how many people are out there with intellectual disabilities. And when you turn, the day you turn 22, the school bus does not come for you anymore. And so at that, at that moment, you are now too old to partake in any programs that are offered by the public school system for people with intellectual disabilities, meaning autism, Down syndrome, it's about brain injuries, all those kinds of things. So what happens to them then? What do they do? What do they do for the rest of their lives? What do their parents do with them? And so Opportunity Village has a team of people that goes out and finds work that these folks can do. So a great uh, example is I came out to Opportunity Village one day and they had all these huge pallets of cereal boxes. And so Costco had been selling a, a three pack of Rice Krispies. So it was like Cocoa Krispies, Rice Krispies, and Frosted Krispies all in this shrink wrapped three pack. And at the end of the promotion, all the boxes that didn't sell, all those shrink wrap packages were sent over to the warehouse at Opportunity Village. And the OVIPs, that's what we call these, the folks with the intellectual disabilities, the OVIPs would unpackage them and then repackage all the Frosted Krispies together, all the Cocoa Krispies together, and all the Rice Krispies together for shipment to stores for individual sale. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. But so that's a job that like you and I would lose our minds doing that over right. and over again for hours and hours and hours. But people with intellectual disabilities can do that and they can receive pride, purpose, and a paycheck for doing this work that needs to be done. So uh, they're also the, I think, the third largest paper shredder for the state of Nevada. Oh, like cool. Nellis Air Force Base uses Opportunity Village to do all their document shredding because none of the OVIPs can read the documents. This is the the thing of, like, <clears throat> like you said, it's things that we assume. You know, you see people, especially elementary school programs and and even high school programs. Then that's it. Once the once they're out of that age system, they're aged out of all these programs. Because for whatever reason, people think like, oh, well, like, I, it's, it's kind of like, why do people eat so much chicken in the world? Not because baby chickens are cute, because adult chickens aren't. Like, they're <laughs> ugly. They're awful things. And so you very easily, like, I'm, I'm good with eating that. But if, if every, every chicken looked like a baby chicken, we would never eat chicken. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do with all of these programs is we create these beautiful opportunities and beautiful programs to help people through, but at some point we lose sight of the fact that they will age out of those programs. And, mm -hmm. it's, it's and not just what happens to them, but what happens to their parents, you know, for the parents of someone with an intellectual disability or a brain injury, their job never ends. That is it. It's a hundred uh, percent responsibility forever. Uh, and for the, that parent and they didn't, you know, and, and those kids, nobody signed up for that. It happened mm -hmm. to them and we need to help them, all of them, you know, and, and, and that's an incredible way to do it. I can also tell you one other uh, OVIP. She was uh, a, a normal functioning adult and she was in a terrible car accident, terrible brain injury. And she forgot everything uh, through the accident, how to talk, how to walk, et cetera. But the one thing that she did remember that wasn't damaged from the accident was how to 
do embroidery. And oh, so, interesting. So she now makes, because Opportunity Village has a whole big art center, and so she makes embroidered works of art that patrons in Las Vegas will pay big money for. And then the money goes into an account that Opportunity Village manages. And then at a time when it comes where she needs a new wheelchair or whatever it is, they take money out of this account for her to, to buy the new wheelchair. But they don't give it directly to her because then she would lose Medicaid. She would lose those types of programs and funding that she gets because of her status. But the money's still there in reserve for her. And so this is just, it's just the coolest program. And then one of the other ones that I'm involved in is I'm on the board of Nevada School of the Arts, which uh, a phenomenal program for kids who play the violin, sing, they're in orchestra, all the art side of the house. Uh, it's a really fantastic program here. Uh, they, they have great programs for kids who have any kind of musical abilities whatsoever. And they partner with all of the schools across the valley to deliver these programs uh, valley-wide. And I'm a huge fan of keeping the A in STEAM because STEM without the arts has no soul. We have to keep the arts involved in these STEAM programs, not STEM programs, because the arts is what keeps us in touch with our humanity. And if we don't support these arts programs, kids are going to lose out on a very vital part of their development, in my opinion. So well, there's, there's a surprising crossover, too, of just the, the actual neurological patterns of people that are in creative in, in all forms, mm -hmm. they tend to work together. The best pro programmers I know come from psychology degrees mm. more so than coming from comp sci degrees because they understand how humans interact with systems, not how systems interact with systems. Mm. So they, they tend to build differently than a pure programmer, which is a phenomenal and challenging trait into itself but it's like you said so the, the creative mind extends into pushes into the arts and those arts need to be part of you know everything like you said look at the, the robotics program robotics program is they're teaching incredible systems thinking but write a business plan teach them how to do marketing teach them how to empathy have empathy for each other you know and and competition with empathy okay. good golly uh you know there's not an organization on the on this earth that couldn't use that to come into their, you know, org for a couple of days and, and get people to think that way between teams. So true. so true. Now, how did you, how did you decide that that was an area that you wanted to, to put your own personal focus to? Cause you, you talked about just two and three there, like there's, there's many more I know that you, you helped to contribute to and, and you promote um, like, did, was that a calling? for you or did it just you you saw it happening and you said i finally have an opportunity to to create something with these programs and i want to help uh i think that you know uncle ben and spider-man said it best with great power comes great responsibility and i think that if you are lucky and blessed enough to get to a position of power and influence then if you are given the chance to help make the world a better place you you have to do it you are obligated to do it I mean, I, I am, I'm really blessed that I, I got to achieve this, this level of, of, a, of a career, but so that means I need to take that influence and help, help make the world better. You know, what, what can I do to influence others to help make things, uh, help their world improve? Because, 
you know, I can't turn a blind eye to the fact that there are children, in, there are girls in middle school right now whose attention is being diverted away from science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. As, you know, sci the data shows that, you know, boys and girls have the exact same interest and, capac and capacity for all of those subjects in elementary school, but middle school is where it diverts. You know, girls seem to lose interest. Are they, is it teachers that are, that are steering them away? Is it their parents? Is it culture? Is it social media? Is it hormones? Is it just the differences between boys and girls at that age? I don't know the answer, but we can't sit by and let the young girls not feel like they can do what the boys can do in these fields. And I, I'm a, a huge fan of making sure we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I'm, I, am, uh, I am always going to be a proponent of women not being victims, victims of any kind of abuse, but I also don't want anybody to think that men are the enemy because I've definitely experienced that in my lifetime, in, in my, in my uh, career of, you know, for every one man who was a bit of a stumbling block for me, there were 10 who wanted to help. And so uh, Mr. Rogers was right when he says, look for the helpers, they're always there. And I found that to be 100% true in every situation. There's always people who wanna help you if you just open your eyes and look or, or open your mouth and ask for the help. That's a lot of th a time I think our pride gets in the way of us taking that next step is admitting that we, that we need the help and then asking for the help from the right person. And so, yeah, I, I definitely feel very obligated to to work in these in these fields because I I got put into a position where I could do that and in this state in Nevada you can affect change here because everyone knows everyone which is just one of the coolest things ever you know my someone asked me you know later on if you retire will you move away from Nevada I said well I definitely travel but I'm never going to leave Nevada because I can I can make things be better in this state there are things I can do to impact the communities that I live in. And that's just, that's awesome. And I love that. It's I'm very, rare, grateful. very grateful. It is a rare treat to be able to feel and, and see the impact. And, and I think that's what I think a lot of people lose faith in their ability to affect change because they don't see the outcomes and the impact directly right. or even indirectly. They, they lose sight of, of what it can do. Uh, so it's, it's challenging. You brought up a really good point and an interesting point about sort of like a 10 to one. Like if we, if you seek, if you seek negativity, you'll find it in spades. Uh, but if you seek positivity, negativity won't go away, but it becomes less of the focus of, of what you're finding. And, and I think, you know, have you been able to bring other people and, you know, through that mindset change of like, Hey, I know you've had a tough time and you had a bad, really difficult experience, but you know, have you seen people you've been able to bring through that turn to that, that mindset? Uh, there have been people in my private life. Yes. That I absolutely have helped to bring through that mindset at work. It's an interesting thing because I think everyone who has gotten to work in the tech field has experienced some sort of hardship to get there. And I, and I mean male or female. I think everybody who works, it's sort of a non-traditional thing, right? I mean, yeah, that's true. Right? <laughs> you know, my, my parents still don't understand what I do. I mean, I don't know if any of you have out there have ever tried to explain cloud to your mom. 
you know, it's not, it's not an easy task. And so when I meet people who aren't in the tech industry, they say, well, what do you do for a living? And I'll say, oh, I'm in tech. And they go, oh, you know, <laughs> like that's it. That please, please, that's the nice smile yeah, that says, please don't say anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I drop it. But if they go, oh, what do you do? And then, okay, cool. Now I've, I've, met a, I've met a comrade, right? Someone who gets it. So then you go into all the details and it's fun. But we, we work in, in, in something that wasn't really a thing when, our, when we were kids, especially if you're in the data center industry or if you're a programmer and all that. And so I think that every one of us here has endured some sort of a challenge to get here. So you can either let those challenges become... Uh, a blockade to you being happy or you can go cool I overcame that that's awesome and I think the majority of the people that I meet are like that and I, I will say here at switch we're huge fans of positivity uh, we, we're always talking about put good in get good back that's sort of our, our mod our logo the karma wheel you know what goes around comes around but that and that's a sort of more of a negative way to say it but we like to say put good in get good back yeah. You know, good effort brings good result, you know, whether it's inside your heart or on the people around you. So we, we don't tolerate negativity here. You know, we're going to try to help you be, uh, you know, focus on the positive and, you know, not, not like you have rose colored glasses on, but if you look for the good, you will find it always. Uh, and so uh, we're not going to let a, po a poison pill bring the rest of us down. I think the uh, society needs a little bit of a boost on on that reminder sometimes, especially with just the the advent of social media and the hyper awareness of everything. It brings the noisiest bits forwards to the mm -hmm. top, and unfortunately, the noisiest bits are usually the more negative bits. That's right. I mean, I posted uh, this a few several weeks back with something about how. I took a photo of the sunrise. Hey, beautiful sunrise today in Las Vegas. And then one of my friends commented, yeah, until Trump starts World War III. I was like, oh, okay, this was, this was a post about a sunrise, not about anything else, but that's, yeah. that's a person. And I, you know, this person in real life is definitely always focused on how can I find the negative in any situation? And that's just, that's just not a good way to live in my opinion. Now the, the thing that I'm looking to, do better at and you touched on it here we can only create that opportunity for somebody when they know they need it and first of all is your 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 own immediate network reach is is x right so we've got a network reach of of you know peer network immediate is one and and two and you get into the sort of third third uh you know network it's a pretty broad set of people, but when we, we see people, you know, in your Twitter timeline who are negative and I've got lots of friends who are like this. And there's a point where I'm just, you know, I just like my bow my head. I'm like, Oh no, not again. I'm like, I know. Yep. And, yep. and sometimes I've tried to reach out and said like, Hey, uh, I know things must be, must be pretty heavy right now. You got a lot going on. Is there anything I can do to help? You know, awesome. And, but when that doesn't get anything, like when, when does my empathy just need to like, when, when am I no longer, is it valuable for me to be able to help that person? I'm curious in your thoughts on that. Cause you sure. probably, you probably bumped into that a lot, especially like yeah, so sunrise I, picks. <laughs> I don't think that you can win a single battle by arguing on social media. 
I mean, I, name one, like if you've ever seen on Facebook or whatever, you see two people just going at it. And each one is just digging their heels in further and further and sniping and being snarky and, you know, back and forth. And, oh, I'm going to get the last word in and I'm going to up you one, you know, all that stuff. You just go, okay, this is completely a, a, a non-constructive argument. This is a complete waste of your time. This is like watching Desperate Housewives, you know, something, you know, they're just, it, it and it always devolves into name calling and insulting. And it, so it's just not worth it. And the interesting thing is when I post stuff on social media, I know that I have very far right friends and I have very far left friends. These people should never meet ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, But occasionally they might start to converse with each other on one of my posts. And so yeah, I might yeah. shut it down just depending on what it is, because I don't want to waste my time dealing with that negativity, especially when it's completely not constructive. Neither one of them are going to change the other's mind. So I, I'm not going to entertain it. Sometimes if somebody posts something that, you know, like the sunrise pick and then they say something about Trump, well, my post wasn't about Trump. So I'll hide the comment or delete it because I go, no, it's not worth it to me. You know, and if you want to go on your page and post about whatever political, I don't care, but my post was not about that as my page. And so, you know, I just kind of look at it that way, but I'm not going to entertain, I'm not going to get drawn in to any battle on social media. It is just not worth it. You're not going to change anyone's mind. Not worth it. Yeah, and I think that then this translates to how we can do, you know, better outreach in general is we have to go into the forums where it's welcomed and known. Yeah. And it's, I just, I get frustrated once in a while, I think, how can I reach people that don't know they need help? And I guess the real answer is you, you can't. You can't. It's no, it's no <laughs> different than an addict who hasn't hit rock, rock bottom and admitted their need for treatment or rehab or whatever. It, if, and that goes back to my earlier comment about being able to self-actualize. If you cannot do an honest internal assessment of the work that you need to do on yourself and then actually take steps, take, do, you know, make choices and create actions and activity in your life to make those changes consistently over time, then you can't, you can't be helped. I mean, the, I know several people where I go, okay, they, they cannot self-actualize. They cannot see the impact that their choices have made on themselves and the people around them. They just think that they're a victim and everyone else is at fault. And so I go, okay, I can't help you, but there's a lot of people that I can help. And so I'm going to go focus on them. Because maybe yeah. that person hasn't hit that, you know, and maybe they never will. Some people just walk through their entire lives without ever thinking that anything they did requires any improvement. And okay. But there's a whole lot of people who, who can change and who want to change and want to be better and want to do that work. Those are the people that I would rather work with. Yeah, life I think that's short. Life that's is short. It. I mean, we have, to, we have to direct our activity to where it's going to have the most benefit. You know, it's like the Twitter battle, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to go and raise millions of dollars for Opportunity Village. I'm going to go do that. You yes. know, I'm going to raise money for the Nevada School of the Arts. I'm going to go concentrate on, you know, getting more people involved in FIRST Robotics. Why would I waste the next 20 minutes of my life on some Twitter battle? I won't do it. Yeah, I watched just just watching the commercials for anything on like Must See Thursdays and NBC. There's like this one show called A Million Little Things. And I'm like, this is a million little horrifying things. Like it literally, it's just like everybody's like got 
18 brands of cancer and then they got oh, they wow. got they had cancer on their cancer and then their cancer got aids and then someone cheated <laughs> on somebody oh. and it's, these are the most horrible but it's you can see why it's mesmerizing to the psyche because people just want to detach into this very surreal world and it will pull you through it's it's like any good shonda rhimes you know drama it is meant to really pull you into these stories and these things and but i watch it and it's it makes me ill because i'm like this is not what we should be putting our efforts into watching like there's like get get masterclass i'll buy it for you like don't okay. don't watch this stuff i would much rather read a book than watch tv these days i mean because i i don't think that i don't feel like now not i am a huge movie buff especially sci-fi movies but i am not necessarily one to get all wrapped up in the latest netflix series or whatever that is except schitt's creek i do love me some schitt's creek but, um, <laughs> rightly so. but for the most part i would much rather read a book and come out a better person on the other side i mean this is i just constantly feel like i'm a work in progress and i feel very deeply the responsibility that i have 800 employees all looking to me to do the right thing whatever that is I, I should know what that is. I should be constantly working on myself to try to figure out how do I how do I do right by them? How do I show them the respect by constantly trying to get better so that I can serve them well? Because being a good leader means being a servant. And it's not about having power. It's not about having control. It's not about having money. If you want to accept the mantle of leadership, you have to get right with the fact that you are now a servant to whoever looks at you as the leader. You got a hundred years on this on this earth. If things go particularly well, many of which are not usable, this is a rare moment of of clarity that people need to listen to. I've I I adore every opportunity we get a chance to talk, just because you you inspire me to always do more on the other side of every conversation. What's what's your What's your big thing for, for this year? We've officially entered a new decade or depending on how people count, they think it's another year, but that's <laughs> right. a different story. What, what do you feel that you want to get done this year that you didn't know that you could do last year? Uh, I would say my role as a public speaker has evolved quite a bit for the company. So that, that's a little bit of a, more of a, another part of my evolution in my career to uh, be on stage a lot more. So I want to look at how can I help, how can I help women see their influence and see that they are leaders and see, you know, see themselves differently, but then take those steps to evolve themselves and to become better leaders and to wield that influence and have more empathy and so on. Uh, and to also to do the same, to say, you know, this, we, we can't have such a divide between the men and the women. You know, yes, men have had much more advantages in technology and, and many, many fields. You know, I watched my mother beating her head against the glass ceiling in the banking industry for years when I was a kid. So I grew up watching that. But men are not the enemy. And so how can we all work together to create this awesome future? You know, because, you know, for every one bad apple, there's a million great ones. And that goes true for men and women. You know, it's not like all women are super nice. You know, some of us aren't. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's just not forget that. And then how do I help kids who don't think that they are part of the American dream or kids who aren't cut out for a four-year college 
or kids who came from a broken home, kids who, you know, were born in the inner city of a, of a terrible, you know, in the slums and to a drug addicted mother and they'll never know who their father is. How can we show them that they have opportunities and they don't have to go down that same path? You know, how do we make sure that the kid who has a talent for playing the violin gets the right training? You know, how do we reach into those problems and create solutions and, and actually put them into place so that we can change lives? You know, those are the things that I want to focus on. And I'm very blessed to work at a company that enables me to go in and do those things, you know, because we have, we have the ability to make change and to spread that change far and wide. So, um, yeah, those are, those are all things that are, that are on the docket for this year and the years coming. It's a good year. It's a good mm -hmm. year. Every and year also the other thing is getting my, my youngest son, he's a junior. And so he wants to go to West Point. And so we're doing all the preparation for that. There's a lot of work in getting your kids ready for college. Good grief. It is so my, no my insignificant older son, task. Yeah, my older son went the vocational route. And so it was actually much, much simpler. So I'm not prepared for all the stuff that we're going through to help get my younger son ready to go to West Point. So that's a, that's an interesting thing. And uh, and not a not a simple school to uh, to just jump into. So no, there's, there's no. definitely as, as a mom, I would of course prefer that my son not be in some sort of combat. However, it's been his dream forever, and so I have to support his dream. You know, I have to do everything I can to help him achieve it. Otherwise, you know, I'm I'm talking out one side of my mouth, right? That's it. That's it. So well, for folks that want to get a hold of you, Missy, and, and sort of follow along with what you're doing, uh, where's the best place to reach you online? And, and how would, would people be able to find out where you're going to be at heading into this amazing year? Sure. So um, on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Missy Byte, M-I-S-S-Y-B-Y-T-E. Byte was my avatar name. Uh, when Switch was an earlier, when we were a younger company, we had a comic book artist on staff who would draw all of us and create comic books with our characters in action, sort of saving the internet. And so because of my um, sense of humor, my superpower was sarcasm. And so that's where the name bite created for the character was created for the character. So uh, all of us who were here in the early days, our license plates are our avatar names and so on. So, but Missy bite is where you find me on social media and uh, anyone is free to email me anytime Missy at switch.com. And I'm always happy to be contacted. And uh, we will be updating my speaking schedule on our website uh, as soon as we have things finalized for this year. But yes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I hope to be putting uh, a couple of, of items on that, that list. I've got some, some things coming up in the fall, especially at Interop. Uh, we're in Austin in September. So I'll reach out I to you. I love Austin. So it's, uh, and this is definitely, I would, I would be honored to have your voice there to be able to tell some of these stories and, and share these experiences because it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, we need more of, we need more, we need more Missy in the world. So. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. I appreciate that. It's been Good. an honor to be here. Thanks for asking me. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure, Eric. Have a great one. Mm -hmm.